Hi, this is Welcome to Self, caring for the human in the therapist chair. And I'm your host, Dr. Haley D. Quinn, fellow human, clinical psychologist, supervisor and trainer. Welcome to Self is a place where you can come and learn ways to elevate your own care and compassion. A place to rest, be soothed, and at times maybe gently challenged to think about yourself and your practice. A place to remember that you are human first and choose the helping profession as just one of the roles in your life. My aim is that this is a place of soothing, comfort, nourishment, growth and nurture. A place where you can also welcome yourself. To another episode. I'd like to thank Alicia on Facebook for her comment on the podcast. Alicia said, I listened on my morning walk and really enjoyed it. Looking forward to listening to some more. So glad you're enjoying Alicia and thanks for taking the time to leave your feedback. I'd now like to introduce you to my next guest, Jennifer Kemp. Jennifer is a clinical psychologist in private practice living in Adelaide, Australia. She balances time with her family, with seeing clients, writing, presenting, and providing consultations to professionals seeking to deepen their therapeutic practice and application of ACT. Jennifer specializes in helping people struggling with perfectionism, anxiety, OCD, eating disorders, weight management, and chronic illness. Jennifer is the author of the ACT workbook for perfectionism, which will be out in December this year, and integrates ACT and self-compassion skills to help people overcome the dark side of perfectionism without compromising on their standards of excellence and the benefits this can bring. It is my pleasure to welcome Jennifer to Welcome to Self. So hi, Jennifer. Lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Oh, I'm really excited to be here. I think this is a really interesting project that you're doing. Thank kind you. of keen to learn a bit more. Fantastic. I have some quite lovely memories, actually, um, of meeting you at an ANZACBS conference down in Canberra. Yeah. 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 That was such a great conference. Yeah. really enjoyed it. I was trying to think when it was, and then I had the whole, you know, how 2020s kind of done this time warp for everybody yes yeah, like the black hole know. when did anything else happen that was before yeah. that yeah, I know it was yeah. 20 it would have been 2018 I think yeah I think so yeah yeah pre-2020 yeah that's basically <laughs> it. it's like a line on everything isn't it <laughs> fantastic all right so do you want to start with just telling us a little bit about yourself and what actually drew you to the helping professions yeah, sure. Actually, I didn't take exactly a, a straight line to the helping professions. I, um, I'm a clinical psychologist based in Adelaide uh, in Australia, and I, um, but I certainly didn't start like that. I did psychology straight out of school, and one thing I knew when I 
finished my psychology degree was I was never going to become a psychologist. Like I was just not interested at all. And I went off and worked in banks and in um, consulting. I ended up working for big companies like PricewaterhouseCoopers and IBM and worked in different places in the world. And I kept sort of coming back through change management and the people side. So even I was just sort of generally trained in analytical skills, I guess, with, a, yeah. with an honours degree in psychology, um, which led me to do, want to do more training. So I kind of headed off in that direction. And it was only in the sort of mid-2000s that I decided I wanted to actually register as a psychologist with the encouragement of my now husband. And I actually got my registration as a psychologist, the confirmation email um, on the day I went in to, to labour to have my first child. I was in the, in the car on the way to the hospital when this email popped up. So, like, um, so that's when I kind of started exploring being a psychologist. I did the, the four plus two and then I eventually retrained as a clinical psych. Um, but even doing that, I was sure I was going to come out of that and just sort of focus on assessments. Like the th talk therapy stuff didn't really interest me, but somehow in all my placements, I just fell in love with it. And mm. I just love, love it now. I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, mm. Although I do love the other aspects of my my work as well, the writing, teaching and stuff like that too. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I can't imagine doing any other job now. It's weird. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? I think a lot of people don't always know where they're going to end up, but something happens during the training. Yes, it's quite transformative, isn't it, yeah. that training? Yeah, changes you as a person in some ways. That's part of me as well as I'm hearing this. I'm like, your email popped up during labour and you checked your email? <laughs> I wasn't actually in labor. I was going to be induced. So I wasn't actually okay. having contractions. <laughs> Just to clarify, I was going in to have a baby, but I, he was way overdue, this baby. So right. I was going in to be induced. So I think it just like you're just distracting yourself with anything at that point. Yeah, <laughs> fair, enough. Mm. fair enough. So you have a special interest in perfectionism. What is it that brought you to that? Um, so just before I went back to do my clinical masters, I went to do a one-day training workshop with um, Professor Tracy Wade here in Adelaide. It was on perfectionism as a transdiagnostic process. She specialises in eating disorders, and I think any perfectionism is an area of interest of hers. And as I walked in, it was like for me the penny dropped. I was um, suddenly realised that like all the struggles that I'd been having over my life. Yeah were really linked in with that so I had an eating disorder when I was in my teens and um, anxiety in my 20s and a depressive episode in there as well and um, I really struggled with feedback in any of the jobs that I'd had yeah. um, like um, just finding it crushing to get feedback I think um, and that, that meant that I wasn't perfect or there was something wrong with me yeah. And so I just found myself almost, oh, I did, my eyes just completely filled up in tears as I walked in. She was playing a song called Never Good Enough by Rachel Ferguson. And um, mm. she's been kind enough to send me the link to that since. And um, and it just was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this song is about me. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was great because I 
in a sense because I like I literally wrote down all of these things, all these links that that made that made sense for me. And I was seeing a therapist at the time, so I was going through a clinic, just about to start a clinical masters, which is the sort of thing you need therapy for. And um, <laughs> and um, I um, I took that in and said, here, this is this is what I need to work working on. And of course, I'd had therapy in my teens and in my twenties, and here I was, sort of my what I've been early 30s and um, no one had picked it up you know no mm. one had kind of said this is it. this is something we need to work on here whether they'd seen it as sort of just part of my personality that was something that couldn't change um, and I started working on it then to some degree in that therapy but I, I think I've probably done more work like really on it myself since then because yeah. that's that's sort of 12 years ago now and I've been working on it ever since. Mm. I'm still working on it. And, um, yeah, I, I, so I did my thesis on that as my part of my clinical master's and I started seeing clients after, after my master's and talking to them about this issue and that's kind of where my thinking has come from. It's mm. not just my own experience but it's sort of watching all those amazing clients really grapple with it as well yeah. and learning from them. Yeah. yeah. But that moment of kind of really recognizing yourself in what was being talked about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was profound. Like I was pushing back tears all day. Like my eyes were just glassy yeah. all day. It was a really, um, and it was just a theoretical workshop. You know, it wasn't even like an act workshop where you're supposed to cry all the time. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was like just a normal everyday workshop. <laughs> I think I think when that information comes across your bow though, yep. it, it touches you deeply, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. I've talked a lot about my sort of passion for CFT because it felt just so relevant to me and I recognised so much in the sort of self-criticism and shame piece of that. Yeah. Um, I think it, it just becomes quite profound, doesn't it? And, and I think you feel quite seen. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the experience I have now when I, I, I do seem to I supervise other psychologists and I, I, I have clients who are trainee psychologists and um, I teach at uni and whenever I talk about this topic, people's eyes just turn into little sources, you know, like, oh, my God, you're talking about me. You know? yeah. um, after I run workshops for other professionals on perfectionism, they even if I'm talking about what they might do with their clients, they come up and talk to me about what yeah. I might do, what they need to do all the time. Yeah. So I think it's a really relevant topic that a lot of psychologists and therapists struggle with, you know, all Absolutely. different kind of professions. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you think about the sort of requirements of doing university and doing postgraduate university, that sort of high achieving perfectionistic um traits are probably. I mean, I don't know. You, you would you would likely know. But I don't know, but I would imagine are higher than in many other areas. Yeah, I think it's a context that breeds that now. Yeah. Like it's so competitive just to get into honors, to get mm. into a master's, and so I mean, you can you can still like work really hard without getting those kinds of unhelpful aspects of perfectionism but it's yeah. the pull to get it right you know is and to make sure to be sure that you're mm. kind of doing your best work all the time is absolutely there I think it in a way I think that the training program for psychologists certainly I don't know about other professionals as much um, almost screens of perfectionism 
you know, like it's kind of looking for it um, mm. and rewarding it. And then you walk in on your first day. I don't know if they did this for you, but you walk in on your first day of the Masters and they say, right, you've all got here now so you can stop worrying about your marks. Yeah. <laughs> some of us, I had to work really hard at that, but some people yeah. succeeded and some people were still like fretting over the fact that they didn't get an HD and yeah. why am I not getting these marks? Like, it doesn't matter. Like those yeah. marks don't matter anymore. Yeah. But it, convincing myself was really, really hard, you know. Yeah. And I think, you know, with people, other psychologists and therapists that I work with, I think you, we see this and just listening to other people, you see this following through in needing to their notes to be perfect or needing reports to be a certain way. So one of the one of the things I wanted to ask you is how do you think perfectionism might show up for helping professionals? And what are some things people can be mindful of in recognizing those perfectionistic behaviors in themselves? Because I think sometimes people don't recognize it as perfectionism because they've perhaps always been that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like you exactly. walking into that training of like, oh my gosh, that's me. So yes. what, what do you think, how does it show up and how can we recognise that when it's showing up for us? Well, I can answer this, I could answer this question just topographically and give you a bunch of a list of, you know, behaviours that you might see, but I, I actually think it's different for everyone. Mm. So when I talk about perfectionism, I really talk about it as a set of processes in a sense. So, and they, how they look might be slightly different it's because I think it's, there's a common stereotype that it is the overachiever, but actually I have many perfectionistic clients who are kind of stuck being unable to achieve really anything, yeah. um, can't finish any work and those kinds of things. So I think it's a few things. It's um, it's setting high standards for yourself. That and There's nothing wrong with setting high standards. So I'll just say that right now. Like yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. But it's good. setting them in a way, good, <laughs> she says. It's setting, setting them in a way that's really rigid so that it becomes yeah. a rigid rule. Yeah. So as a therapist, it might be like an expectation of yourself, like um, I must I must help every client all the time. You know, um, every in every session, I should be having some major breakthrough yeah. with that client. Um, I must always like I must never sort of miss something. Like the number of times you walk out of a session that oh, I miss you know, or um, I must you know always be on top of my game. My notes must be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, those sorts of things. So setting really rigid expectations, I think, is a problem. Uh, and um, a really big problem for therapists that we're constantly struggling with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for therapists, you know, we're, we're all so motivated to help. We're also like we do this job because we want to be useful. We mm-hmm. want to be helpful for people. And I think the flip side of that can be um, really strong fear of failing too. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't see very high-risk clients, you still want to do the best for them. So mm. when they come in and they spend their money and they see you and you feel like I wasn't helpful at all, you know, that comes with a huge amount of self-criticism. Yeah. Um, so it's both that kind of fear of failing where a failure is like the client not improving or me not doing a 
good enough job as a therapist um, in some way, like not using their techniques properly, kind of stuffing up that metaphor that I wanted to use or being clunky in trying a new skill. And then it's like criticizing yourself. So if I set really high standards that are rigid and they're always just out of reach, and how am I, you know, and then I'm constantly going to feel like I'm failing mm-hmm. and then beat myself up when I do. That's sort of characteristic of, of perfectionism that, you know, those sorts of processes going on is what I would see yeah. in therapists all the time. And then you see a whole bunch of avoidant behaviours and they're the ones that you sort of initially asking about. It's like, what would I see? Mm-hmm. They would be things like um, being excessively prepared. Um, yeah spending too long on notes and letters and um, needing them to be just right, um, chasing that perfect therapy. The one that always gets a laugh is like um, buying more books or going to more training, (laughs) (laughs) you know, everyone like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's me. And if I was in my home office right now, you'd be seeing a wall of books behind (laughs) me, (laughs) most of which that I haven't read. even yeah. a chapter of um but i own them so maybe maybe i'll be good enough if i can just have that book um yeah i talk about that in terms of you know when we get in our threat system and feel like we're not good enough and we if we're driven by that it can be like well i well i've booked onto the next course and i've i've yeah. ordered those books they'll be coming um but it doesn't make it go away does it yeah, no, it doesn't. And and actually, you're the, you know, the threat system or what I would call behavior under aversive control is kind of, I think we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Using slightly different language. So that fear of failure drives a whole lot of these avoidant yeah. behaviors, like that kind of active, like I have to work harder and scramble and see more clients or spend like hours doing my notes. And you also get that real kind of passive avoidance too. I don't know, all that, that freeze response you would get yeah. to a threat which would be, you know, um, avoiding certain clients or certain issues. Like, you know, um, another thing that always gets a laugh is, you know, when that client cancels and yeah. you can feel that, oh, yeah. <laughs> like it's just I'm relieved because I was feeling scared. Like I, I yeah. that client is aversive because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, Supervision is so important. And then procrastinating, uh, who... Uh, I, I'm proud to say I'm really quick on letters now. Pretty much see the client, I try and rattle off my letters. I'm fast writing them and I write them before I leave on that day or the next day. But I used to have a list of 20 letters that would be just sitting there like I need to write and they stack up and I would be just like, oh, I don't want to do this. And then ending up spending all day Sunday writing these letters, which were harder to write because they weren't fresh in my mind. Yeah. So, you know, that procrastination is a really hallmark of you know perfectionism too so you end up doing you know doing nothing yeah I think that's a really good point because um you know I hear that a lot is that you know I've got all this stuff to get done but it feels so aversive yeah um rather than I can just get it done and it can be good enough yeah yeah I've got to the point where I write my GP letter give it a quick scan over and send it yeah. and it's gone. And I never thought I'd get to that because used yeah. to really labor over them and need to really have it be a thorough conceptualization, but actually just want an update. Yeah. They, they just want a quick update and yeah. um, setting my expectation 
lower. And I do spend a lot of time on some letters, to be fair, but that's that I'm flexible about that. Some just yeah. a quick update, just letting you know where we're at. This is what we're working on. And others like, okay, I, they've got something I need to really communicate here and I'll spend yeah. a lot more on that. That's that flexibility and that standard. I'm not holding all letters to that same same standard. So what would be some of the things, like some of the favourite skills perhaps that you teach to your perfectionistic clients that you also use for yourself that our listeners might find helpful? Um, if you've ever attended a workshop or a seminar of mine, I would have probably talked about passengers on the bus metaphor in ACT, which is the one which I think made, it was almost like not the final penny to drop, drop but for me, really life-changing doing mm. that um and that the first time I was really like I'd heard of the metaphor but the first time I really did the metaphor was when I pulled my hand up and volunteered to be you know the person demonstrated on in a workshop in mm. so it would have been before the Canberra conference the Melbourne conference in 2017 that's how I know that Canberra was 2018 and um it was David Galanders did that, did ran a workshop on working with chronic illness. And um, it was really moving. He um, kind of reached in and pulled out um, my perfectionistic self-critic, basically. Mm. This is the one that's just always critiquing me and telling me I'm not doing a good enough job or why did I make that mistake? Um, you know, you're always stuffing this up, that kind of critic. Yeah. I do that with in slightly different ways but um with a lot of my clients I actually did that with my eating disorder clients because the eating disorder gets pulled out the my OCD clients their OCD gets pulled out so I use it a lot um and um and my inner critic right now saying I must be a one-trick pony basically oh, oh, I do. thank you for that <laughs> so much. <laughs> but I use it using it on myself really opened up to self-compassion because one question I'll always ask people about their inner critic, their inner passenger on the bus, Um, and I can explain the metaphor a bit more if that's useful. I always ask, you know, what is that, what is the good intention behind that critic? If if it had a good intention for you, but like a stewy, shitty way of going about it, what would it be? Yeah. Um, and that was for me like realizing that that critic really just wanted me to do a good job. Like yeah. it was really wanting me to do well. And that was motivated, you know, I wanted to help people and I wanted to feel a sense of accomplishment. And so it was trying to protect me from feeling yeah. like a failure as well. And so it allowed me to make a little bit more of a friend of that part of myself, yeah. if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely I makes sense. Settle down yeah. that <laughs> settle down that kind of threat system. Like every yeah. time that voice popped up, you know, just popped up now in session yeah. in this conversation here. Um and it was like, oh, I could have a bit of a laugh with it. No, mm-hmm. thanks so much. But it it's still bothers me like I still have thoughts of that um like that kind of I'm a shit therapist thoughts that Mm -hmm. sometimes really rattle me um and so it's not like it's just fixed from doing this it's something that I'm always kind of like oh hello again you know here we are again um 
it's been so really helpful. What do you find when that happens? And I'll, I'll, we'll come back to just explaining the metaphor in a minute, if you don't mind, for sure. some of the listeners who might not know it. But just, you know, when that critic does show up and you get rattled, what do you do for yourself in that moment? What do you find helpful? Well, that's where um, learning some of the skills of self-compassion is really has yeah. really helped. I do slow down. Um, I do seek supervision if yeah. it's become. There's been a few times in the last couple of years where, like, I've, I remember one time sort of over summer, and it was just it just for some reason I know why. I had a client I was really struggling with who I think quit therapy right before Christmas and then it, the passengers just got really loud over that break and I didn't have a chance because I wasn't seeing clients to kind of regroup. Yeah. Um, and I reached out to a friend and spoke to, got some supervision yeah. um, and sort of that's really important. Like I always stay get in supervision. Yeah. Um, and, um, and yeah, trying to sort of just let it be there yeah. without yeah. The, letting it need to drive a whole bunch of unhelpful behaviour. Yeah. So that sounds like that connection with yourself, sort of slowing down and connecting with yourself and also connecting out to other people as well. Yeah. Through that. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to just explain briefly the metaphor for anybody yeah. that doesn't know the act, the act metaphor of that? Yeah, because I'm a one-trick pony, I know it really well. It's no problem, right? Um, so if you can imagine that you're the driver of a bus and uh, this is your bus, so only you can drive it, you set the direction and the speed. Um, and you're sitting, you know, as you go through life, you're sitting behind the driver's seat trying to drive down the road towards a life that um, is really fulfilling for you. I kind of sometimes talk about it as kind of a little sparkly, you know, like doing the things that are really important, um, connecting with people that you love. Maybe it's, you know, rewarding and fulfilling work, um, feeling like you're helping others and helping your community, uh, feeling safe and secure, um, you know, all those elements of a life, doesn't matter quite how you're doing it, most people would have some of those elements in their life and I'll usually unpack them, I'll always unpack them with a the client, like just so we know where we're trying to head. And, um, um, and during your life, uh, as you drive along, a bunch of passengers get on board with you. Now, some of those passengers are kind of lovely memories and experiences that you've had, and maybe you kind of lean over the back of your seat and sort of chat to the passenger and remember the good times, and those passengers don't bother you very much. They're nice to have around. And um, one passenger has gone on board in your life, and that passenger is this kind of critical voice that we've been talking about so it's saying things like whatever that is for my client but it might be you never get this right you you're a shit therapist you might you know another therapist would have done a better job than you <laughs> um if Robin Walzer was here she would have fixed this person right up um you know those are the sort of things that might go on in my head and it says these things to you and um they're really hard to hear, you know, they're really uncomfortable. Yeah. 
So, you know, the process that we go through is to sort of pull out that passenger, maybe pop them in the empty chair, talk about what they look like. And, and the key thing with this passenger is um, not so much the passenger itself, although it's very helpful to separate it from yourself a little, um, because it's nice to kind of note that even when that passenger is talking, there is still a driver there. Because yeah. um, we can forget that think that that passenger's voice is who we are and all we are. Um, but how you respond to that passenger really matters. Yeah. And um, the first question I ask my clients is like, when it says these things to you, do you believe it? Um, and it's a surprise, I think, for many people to appreciate that that's a choice yeah. for a start, you know. That, that voice doesn't just because it says that thing it doesn't have to mean anything it doesn't have to be something you have to act upon um, you don't have to believe it um and if you believe it do you do what it says because of course passengers these passengers are incredibly uncomfortable to have around like the things that they say make us want to sort of crawl under our seat and um, then we feel shame and guilt and um, they trigger off a lot of those sort of deeper feelings that come with failure. Uh, and I would say that um, most people respond in one of three ways to their passengers. They, of course, because of course they want to keep it quiet. Yeah. So you can either do what that passenger says. So it, when it says like, um, don't do that, you're going to fail or it'll be terrible or, you know, that's a really bad idea for you. Okay, sure, I won't and I'll drive and, you know, I'll change my direction according to what you're telling me to do. Sometimes we get stuck um, fighting and arguing with a passenger. But in order to fight with a passenger, the first thing you have to do is take our hands off the wheel. And so it's very hard to make progress down the road. Mm. And the third way I talk about it's a bit of a blend maybe of both of those options because it's sort of like hand on the passenger trying to squish it down to shut up, leave me alone, you know, don't want to hear it. One hand on the wheel, I'm going to force myself down the road here. I'm going to make myself do all these things that are really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And you can make progress down the road that way, but it's exhausting. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time unpacking that. And often people have a mix, like, you know, the people listening might have a mix of different ways that they respond to their passenger. Mm. Um, you know, if it says that this, your, this report you're writing, it's just not good enough, maybe they walk away and try yeah. and don't work on it that day. Or maybe they get into an argument, yes, it is, I can do this, you know, and keep tapping away at the keys, but they sort of bus just grinds to a halt, you know, they end up checking and rechecking it or, overworking it working mm -hmm. too hard um so there is a way that i and i explain to my clients like what we're aiming for it's that um the technical term might be you know mindful awareness or something like that or it could be a compassionate awareness as well yeah. it looks like hands on the wheel eyes on the road yeah. So just refreshing our memory, but where are you wanting to head here, you know? Yeah. Um, and even though the passenger can get really, really loud, be screaming in your ear, it doesn't have a physical form. Um, it can be very, very uncomfortable, but it can't actually hurt you. So the passenger um, 
can scream and stomp and we might talk about it as a toddler like throwing itself on the floor and banging its fists and demanding you know you do what it says um but if you have a toddler who's doing that you don't then like give them a chocolate bar right so you don't reward that passenger you don't engage in that passenger you just say thanks you know, i got this and keep driving mm-hmm. and sometimes passengers get really loud like that sometimes they sort of just go oh, okay you know, sit back and just let let you drive because they don't know what else to do if you're not listening to them we don't know how the passenger will um will respond but we do know they don't get off the bus so how you respond to them does really matter so that's kind of the broad like metaphor that i would use and then you know we can keep like i have you know in my supervision like keep coming back to there's the passenger again yeah have a way of understanding that yeah, and I think there's, you know, you say the, to- the toddler has a tantrum and you don't give them the chocolate bar, but I guess sometimes people give them the chocolate well, bar, don't do. they? Yeah, yeah they and do. I, and what I are think... they going to expect going to happen next time that toddler wants yeah. a chocolate bar? The first thing it's going to do is throw itself on the floor because it wants a chocolate bar and this strategy works. Yeah. So if you reward it, you're going to get more of it. So it's risky, isn't it? Because if we're not willing to sit with the discomfort, because like you say, it is uncomfortable. Yeah. If we're not willing to do that, it's almost like that passenger jumps in the driver's seat and says, well, I'm going to drive you to perfect land. But guess what? It's a never ending road. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like you're going to be driving and driving, driving to perfect land. and You're never, ever going to get there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so one it comes- thing, though, just to draw a distinction, I will never let... Um, in my story, my metaphor with the passenger, get in the driving seat because I yeah. think it's always important to remember that you're still the driver. Absolutely. You're still the one who's doing what the passenger says. Yeah. It'll tell you where to go. It'll tell you to check all your work 10 times. It'll tell you to, you know, yeah. like just procrastinate and not start. But you still choose. Yeah. Right. It's so important, important, isn't it? That Yeah, absolutely. That this is the thing is that we do have choice in this. And often the choice is a difficult one. Yeah. It's yeah. an uncomfortable one. Really but uncomfortable. ultimately will lead to be the better choice for you. Yeah. Yeah. Tricky stuff, Absolutely. hey? It's tough being it human, is. right? Oh, yeah, it's great, but really hard. <laughs> yeah. It is. So, you know, one of the things and the reason I've started the podcast and a lot of the work I do is because as helping professionals, lots of people just don't seem that great at taking care of themselves. For lots and lots of reasons, um, lots of things come up, challenges, barriers, histories, stories, passengers yeah. on the bus. Yeah. Um, what do you find are the biggest challenges you face in taking care of yourself as a practitioner? I think I struggle. I think I struggle with basic self-care sometimes in the yeah. sense of like taking breaks. Yeah. I don't do that. I see clients back to back for hours. Um, uh, And I'm good at like at the end of my day, like taking a bit of a breather, but going for a walk, which is what I really need to do. I'm just too tired. So, um, and I have these, I also struggle with these, you know, really intense periods of self-doubt as well. So kind of I still struggle with being kind to myself. Yeah. as well when I do have a client that I think you know I'm just not getting anywhere what am I yeah. doing you know I even sit with supervisees um they're shocked to learn 
that I sit with them and go, oh my God, the supervisee is better at this than I am. Like, <laughs> they are doing a really good job here. <laughs> um, and um, so I struggle with when it's great when clients are going well, but I struggle with like trying to be kind to myself. I would say top of the list would be, you know, that kind of fundamental taking breaks during the day. Mm managing my diary there's so much demand and start putting holding limits yeah. it's really hard saying no it's really hard I think that's a really big one for lots of people particularly at the moment I think the demand on on therapists is massive and yeah. when we struggle with sort of putting those boundaries in place makes it really hard yeah what do you think would have been helpful for you to hear when you were a new practitioner starting out I think the thing that occurred to me a few years in, sort of post, like towards the end of my registrar program, was um, that the self-doubt is part of the deal. So I think it was, I think it was Santa's Church, I heard say this, that um, the work we do is both a privilege and a burden. Uh, I think the part of the burden that comes is like the self-doubt that you keep. I think as you get more experience, you know, you have less and fewer and fewer clients that just scare the shit out of you. Like, mm. like what am I going to do with this client? Happens less. But you, um, and you narrow, your, I think it's great to narrow your scope to make sure that you really, you know, don't try and take on too many different clients. Yeah. Um, but that you're going to keep having those moments Um I think would have been probably because I, I think I felt like it was something wrong with me and that I was going to keep um, like that I should defeat this and be more confident or something like that. And I think that was just wasted effort. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's not gone anywhere. <laughs> I went to a great Wellcon presentation just for super like supervision skills. And the best thing about it was like, guess what when you're a supervisor you still have doubts about how good you are as a supervisor and I was like oh shit. of course <laughs> of course you know of course it's obvious but um it was so validating yeah. to hear it from other like people who who are have been supervising for many many more years yeah. like it's just another thing to be worried about whether I'm doing good enough you know mm-hmm. mm. Absolutely. I think that that shows up for so many people, doesn't it? And people we wouldn't expect. I remember when I was doing my PhD and um, one of my supervisors, you know, had brought in millions of dollars in grants and was on boards of this, that and the other and was a most remarkable woman and would have that thing when somebody would contact her of like, they want me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. But I think in some ways, when I've heard people who are sort of further ahead in their career than me say things like that, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's all right then. Because if they're feeling like that, it's kind of normal that I would be feeling like that as well. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, recognising that we want some self-doubt, not the critical kind. Yeah. But we want to have some reflection of, you know, where can I improve my practice? Absolutely. What could I be doing to to do this in a you know a more effective way? Absolutely. Otherwise, we'd just be like, meh, I'm exactly. all right, fine. 
Exactly. That scares me. That scares me. People who do that scare me. Like, Mm. what are you doing if you're not reflecting on your practice? So Mm. I would never want to be like that. So that's it. That's it's not only are we sort of stuck with it, but that it's necessary. I think that would have been helpful to understand and to start that process of coming to terms with that. Um, And just be compassionate about about with yourself about it. You know. Yeah, that's right. It it is a, a privilege and a burden. Um, that we carry that burden, that we have to carry that with kindness, you know. To be honest, that that self-compassion piece of this, that I can be compassionate to this critical part of myself, that's, I think, of all the work I've done, made the biggest difference. Yeah, yeah, I I would absolutely agree with that. I think when I changed my relationship with myself, which was through compassion, um, my life literally changed. Yeah. My decision-making changed. Um, yeah 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 I find I can do a whole lot more things that scare me now mm. I still find sticking points don't get me wrong yeah. um, but I can just say yeah I'll give that a try yeah. this is a sort of a just holding it gently because I'm not I know that I I'm not going to beat myself up if I don't do it really yeah. well you know yeah. I'm That's wasting beautiful. a huge amount of time doing that anymore so I can give things a try. And that's been a whole lot of different projects that have just exploded, you know, in the yeah. last sort of 12 months or two years for me. Yeah. So you touched on some of the work stuff. I'm just wondering if there was something you would change about the way you work, what would it be and why? <clears throat> I actually have scheduled in breaks, but because I'm... <laughs> Yay. Yay, me. <laughs> Yay me, I deserve a half an hour lunch break. Yay me, it just sounds so pathetic. <laughs> um, yes. Just listen to that though. I know, like, it sounds so pathetic. It's I like, know, whoa, hello, Cassandra. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for picking that up. It's um that, and that I have to start that in January because it's too late for this year. It's not possible. So, um, but I, I've started that in January. Going to rejuggle my diary to just I will see slightly fewer clients in a day. Um, have a little bit of a break, um, just to take my breath. You know, catch my breath, and um, mm-hmm. that I know I actually work better. But I'm tired of getting to the end of my day and just being uh, like mm-hmm. all out. You know, just there's nothing left to give at this point um yeah. I don't think it's good for me it's not good for my family so that's definitely something that's going to change um I actually made that commitment yesterday and I sat there and put in the first three months of breaks I actually scheduled, scheduled them in because I knew that I wouldn't stick to it <laughs> unless they were already blocked out well you've said it on here now so oh no it's out there they're in the world or will be um <laughs> that warms my heart I mean if anyone's heard me talk at all um, you'll know my views on taking breaks between clients and having a good break in the day for us to actually take care of ourselves. I mean, it, it's so hard to go back to back with yeah, yeah. people um, in this kind of work. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah. So I'm thrilled to hear that. <laughs> wonderful. It's, it's not a big break, Hayley. <laughs> well, it's but it's a big one. It's a start. I do know people who spread out, you know, four clients across this eight-hour day or something like that for me I I feel like that's a lot of sitting around like I, I want to don't want to work five days a week doing this. so and mm. I like to have long gaps of time on other days 
Yeah. So I'm happy to compress sort of the clients I see into three days and have it a bit more intense, but I do need a break. And even if it's just to like reschedule a haircut, take mm. a little walk outside, you know, yeah. um, make it, yeah, just make a call, sort something out for dinner. Just those that little gap in the middle of the day, just take a breather, do something Absolutely else. Absolutely you need a break during the day. I'm like, yeah. It's so basic, isn't it? I know. And yeah. see just slightly fewer clients as well. Yeah. You know, it's just crept, crept and crept this year. Yeah. yeah. So what would be one piece of advice that you would share with our listeners? That's a hard one, I, I won't lie. I think it's always hard to boil things down to one piece of advice. I would say that being kind to yourself is transformational. Yeah. It's just no need. There's no benefit to being so hard on yourself. And I know it can feel like you need to do that yeah. in order to work hard or do a good job. Like you need to berate yourself to keep mm. yourself in line. Or if you, if you don't, then you be lazy in some way it just isn't true no you You have to test it out maybe just to see that it just isn't true yeah um yeah that's the functional analysis of the the self-critic and really understanding like you were saying what what's the purpose of it and really looking at you know this is part of ourself that's trying to be protective hey it's just really crap at its job (laughs) (laughs) i know i know it doesn't do it doesn't actually serve that function it just makes it harder yeah Yeah. so i do think self-kindness is the key um my practice and with my clients and with myself i'm like that's probably my biggest area of development still to do like it's still something i want to learn more about um I know that my clients benefit when we do that work and um, what I'd like to be able to take them further. So I think you've you've got to start by applying it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's just so important. Absolutely. So can you tell us a bit about any current projects that you're working on and perhaps tell us about your upcoming book? Oh, yeah. Um, So I have some really cool projects. Um, a big one that's coming up in October is I'm running a workshop for Praxis CET, so on unpacking perfectionism. So that's four times two hours. Um, and um, a workshop sort of, I think it's it'll be scheduled on Friday mornings for those of us in Australia. So I think it's Thursday afternoons in the US. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. And um, that'll be really experiential and, you know, I always put my heart and soul into into any workshops that I do. Uh, And then I've got the book coming out in on the 1st of December. So that's really exciting. I've got, um, I've been writing some blogs and like sort of trying to put some more thoughts together. I'll be recording a bunch of um, the mindfulness activities that are in the book. I'll be recording them. There's an activity that always scares me, recording myself. Um, So, oh yeah. So there's a little bit of procrastination going on with that Mm -hmm. at the moment. I'm going to get there. Uh, the book comes out, it's the ACT workbook for perfectionism uh, with New Harbinger and 
I've integrated ACT skills with some self-compassion, compassion-focused therapy skills in there. And really, again, I unpacked what perfectionism is, fear of failure and criticism. The whole passengers in the bus metaphor is in there. It's like an interactive exercise that you work through, which I love. Like I think chapter seven, which has it in it just flows so easily. It just flowed to write. It was really enjoyable. Um, it's probably, so that's probably my favourite chapter. Chapter six on compassion is also like a fave. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not to pick favourites. They're like children. Each chapter I should pick favourites. Um, but I'm really like keen to for people to get into that and to sort of talk to them about it and, and help um and I'm sort of looking to next year and, you know, what else could I put online? I've sort of got little thought bubbles going at the moment that people could work through in a self-paced kind of way yeah. uh, to support because it's, it's, it is hard to see, to get in to see someone at the moment. Mm-hmm. So what could people be doing in the meantime would be really, really good to, to sort of think about. And, um, yeah, so that's it. The, the best place to go is to go to my um my website which is just jennifercamp.com.au and you can if you want to if you want to know more sign up for a mailing list there because then each time I upload something new onto the website I send out an email uh and that helps you know so you you'll know what 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 I'm up to yeah I think you've sent me some details I'll pop those on show notes yeah thanks yeah Yeah, awesome that sounds exciting good on you like writing is a, a challenging process and oh wow yeah it's really cool and the course yeah. sounds good as well mm-hmm. so that's october the course yeah. it is it's for uh, i think it starts on october the 7th in the us so it'll be the 8th here i think and um you can find all the details on the praxis cet website i think it's praxiscet.com i have to give you the link for the show notes so before we finish up i'm going to ask you what i've been asking everybody is if you could meet your 20 years from now self what do you think your future self would say to you i would i would like to think that my future self will be proud of me that would um be really encouraging and um you know this part of me that's like well we could do could be doing better at this or doing better at that of course um but they could see that I was really on a good path I think that I'm making progress so I'd like to think that that future self would be super super proud of me um and encouraging and um, just telling me to keep going trying new things and taking on some more risks mm-hmm. putting it out there and sort of seeing so I really love I think like you Haley, really love working with other professionals and really love like helping the helpers yeah. I think that's a really great great place to work in um so really excited to keep exploring that space yeah fantastic thank you so much it's been really interesting I think really helpful I think there's lots of people that will be able to relate to what you've talked about and um hopefully they'll you know be able to get hold of your book and do your course as well which would probably be very helpful not only for working with clients but also like you say turning it in inward for ourselves and learning a lot of these skills for ourselves is so important yeah yeah it's been a pleasure oh it's been really fun yeah absolutely loved it thanks so much for having me pleasure see you see you thank you for sharing this time with me today 
I hope your time here was helpful and supportive. If there has been something in this episode that you have found helpful, I invite you to share it with another person you think might benefit. I'd also love it if you'd like to leave a review wherever you tune in. Reviews really help to increase awareness of podcasts, meaning I can spread helpful information more widely. All reviews are welcome and much appreciated, as I know they take time out of your day. If you'd like to be notified when the next episode airs, please use the link in the show notes to join my mailing list. Music and editing by Nissa Ray. Thanks, Nissa. I wish you all well in your relationship with yourself, and may you go well and go gently. Thank you.